was the last time that you made a mixtape for someone? Uh, for some of you guys in the older generations, maybe that looks like uh, the old school cassette player type of mixtape. For those in my generation, it looks like burning a CD. Uh, for those of you who are too young to know what either of those things are, uh, think about the last time you made a handcrafted Spotify playlist for someone. And back in my day, this was the thing to do if you were interested in someone. You know, and if you wanted to communicate that interest to them in a pretty fancy way, you would make them a mixtape. Now, it's been a long time since I've done this. I've been married for some years. Um, I'm not making my wife mixtapes on a regular basis, but I remember doing this. I remember putting on the mixtape uh, songs from bands like Lifehouse and, and The Fray and, and anything by Secondhand Serenade. Church, please don't judge me. Uh, but when I was doing this, I would then take it to the next level and I would learn these songs on guitar. You know, why does anybody learn guitar these days, right? We're not oblivious to this, but that would really take my pursuit to the next level. Well, as I was trying to communicate my interest in someone through a mixtape, even furthermore, communicate my love for someone via a mixtape, uh, here is one song I definitely never included. Love hurts. Love hurts, love scars, love wounds, love mars, any, maybe even every heart. You wanna to go to prom with me, could you imagine? Well, my name is Bob, and I'm the Happy Valley Associate Campus Pastor here at ALC, and today we are continuing to go through our series uh, through the book of Psalms. Now, it's only a four-week series, so uh, it's pretty obvious that we could not tackle all 150 psalms in the book. So instead, we chose four of the main genres. Now, just in case you're joining us for the first time, the psalms are a book uh, made up of 150 psalms written by different authors over different periods of time and different seasons of life. And they're written down prayers, and often they would be sung as well. And, and so far in this series, we've looked at two different genres. Uh, we've looked at a psalm of praise, and then last week we looked at a psalm of thanksgiving. Today, uh, we are going to look at what is probably my favorite genre of psalms, and that is a psalm of lament. Uh, these are the love hurts type of songs that exist in the book of Psalms. And, and while we might assume that most of the psalms are filled with uh, psalms of joy and, and love and, and praise and thanksgiving, actually 40% of the psalms are laments. And that number can be a little bit higher or lower depending on the scholar that you're reading. But on average, it's about 40% of psalms are laments. And to find out what a lament looks like, what it feels like, I would say more importantly, today we're going to look at Psalm 88. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead, start turning there, Psalm 88. And uh, I believe that Psalm 88 is the lament of all laments. It is the pinnacle of what a lament looks like. 
and I've titled my message today, Appealing for Authenticity. Uh, so if you're taking notes, I, I would encourage you to write that down, Appealing for Authenticity. And uh, we have a bit of a longer passage today, so I wanna jump right in. Verses one through five, if you're with me, in Psalm 88. The psalmist says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. God, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead already. I am like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten. I am cut off from your care. Right away, we get the sense of what a lament is, right? You can kind of feel the emotion behind it. This is not a, a psalm of joy or praise or thanksgiving. One of the key phrases that we see in a lot of laments, if you see this phrase, you know, even if you're not in psalms, you are in the middle of someone lamenting, is the phrase, how long? How long, O Lord? You know, in Psalm 13, another lament psalm, uh, verses one and two, the psalmist says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? God, will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and with sorrow in my heart? The psalmist says, how long? God, how long is this going to continue? In Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, in uh, chapter one, verse two, he says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? Indicating he's been calling for help for quite some time. He says, but God, you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? God, how long will this go on? Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter six is called by God. It's a famous calling. Uh, God is looking around for people who will rise up and who will bring his message to people and he can't find anybody. And so in Isaiah six, we see Isaiah's famous words where he says, God, here am I, send me. And so God sends him, but then he tells him what he's going to send him to do and it's not pretty. Isaiah is gonna be called to preach to people who can't hear, who won't listen, who won't understand. And so in verse 11, Isaiah says, Lord, how long will this go on? God, how long must I endure what you're calling me to do? It's actually a great story. If you've got time later, I'd encourage you to check it out, Isaiah 6, because God gives him an answer to that question, how long? It's not a pretty answer, uh, but most of the time the question, how long, goes unanswered. It's a form of lament. How long? It's a way of saying that there are problems that exist in the world today, maybe in my life today, and these problems have been ongoing. And, and I've brought them to you, God, and yet they still exist. I'm being worn down by them. I'm exhausted by them. God, how long will this continue? Now, we don't see the phrase, how long, verbatim in, in Psalm 88, but that idea is very present. The psalmist says, day by day, I cry out to you. He says, at nighttime, I come to you. God, hear my prayer, listen to my cry. Clearly, this is not the first time that the psalmist has brought this issue before God. It's been some time. And I think it's important to note that because I've heard some Christians talk about depression and sadness and sorrow somewhat flippantly. Uh, like the, the answer to those problems is always as simple as just pray more. 
Uh, just pray more. Maybe uh, get into community more. Maybe work on your spiritual disciplines. You just need to read your Bible more. But what I'm reading here in my Bible is someone who is seeking God fervently, calling out to God day and night, and yet he is still experiencing overwhelming sorrow. You know, what I love about the way that this prayer begins is it is clear right off the bat, this is going to be an authentic prayer. We are going to hear the real heart of this psalmist. There is an issue present and the psalmist is going to bring it to God with authenticity and with boldness. Now, as for the issue, this is the case in most laments. The causes for lament are both internal and external. You know, internally, the psalmist is saying, my life is full of trouble. I'm like a strong man, but I don't have any strength left. I'm as good as dead. You, You can sense the exhaustion, the fatigue, the despair in the words of the psalmist. But also externally, and we're gonna see a lot more of this as we go, uh, in verse five, the psalmist says the word they. They have left me among the dead. He is pointing to external forces that he feels are against him. You know, uh, not only is there this internal exhaustion and despair, but there are these external forces. And one of them, he mentions, is God. You know, one of the external causes is he feels cut off from God's care. He feels somewhat abandoned. And church, I think we're gonna be surprised by the extent to which he feels God is the source of his external pain. You know, pick it up in verse six. Now he turns to God and he says, you have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. You know, he begins in verses one through five talking about all these things that are going on and and what it's doing to him these issues at hand, and now he turns his attention to God. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depth. God, your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap, and I don't have any way of escape. Turns his attention to God, and he says, God, I think this is your fault. And I want you to reflect, as you hear those words, as you hear the psalmist say these things to God, what are your emotions? What's your internal reaction to this? I took a class on the Psalms one time, and I remember uh, being here in this passage, in these verses, and I remember thinking, we cannot talk to God like this. Uh, This is not an okay attitude. We can't say these things to God. This is disrespectful. This is maybe even rebellious. Uh, This is not okay. Which led me to the question, well, if that's how we feel, if those are the thoughts that we're thinking, what do we do? If not bring them to God, what is the alternative? Years ago, when I started in student ministries, before I ever went on staff at a church, I was leading a group of guys And one time we went together to a Sunday service. I brought some of my students with me. And during worship, we were singing together a song called Joyful, Joyful. If you know the old hymn, this was like a modern rendition of that old hymn. And uh, we were singing together, Joyful, Joyful. Uh, Side note, church, I don't know if you remember what it was like to sing together in person at church. These were amazing times, the good old days. I think we took them for granted. Hopefully we experience them again someday, but we were singing together and this song, Joyful, Joyful, and some of the phrases went like this. 
Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. We are joyful before you. You know, giver of eternal gladness, fill us with the light of day. We are eternally glad as we sing these songs to you. The last line, fountain of the joy of living, get this, ocean depths of happy rest. You know, we are swimming in an ocean of happy rest uh, when we come and we sing. Now, uh, we're singing this song, and it just so happened, I was standing next to one of my students at the time who had just gone through a, a really bad breakup. I mean, he was 18, he's getting ready to go off to college. Uh, he had been dating this girl for over two years and they were planning their college experience around one another. They were gonna go to school, they had great big plans. It seemed like a really healthy relationship. And a month earlier, she had broken up with him. And I knew the sorrow that he was experiencing. I don't know if you remember what it was like to be 18, a teenager, and get your heart broken. Uh, maybe some of you watching uh, have recently gotten your heart broken. You know very well uh, what he was experiencing. And an 18-year-old in that moment, with that sorrow that I knew he was experiencing, I remember singing this song, knowing he was singing this song, and, and, and just thinking, how are these words impacting him in this moment? You know, how does he feel about these words of joyful, joyful, eternal gladness, swimming in an ocean of happy rest? How does he feel right now? Here's what I think a lot of people in that situation do. Instead of lamenting, instead of crying out to God with authenticity, like we see the psalmist do here, I think a lot of people will just put on a happy face. They will go to church. They will sing some songs and then they will go home only to return to sorrow. What I see here is a psalmist who is not interested in putting on a happy face. The psalmist is not interested in going through the motions and so he cries out to God with realness, with authenticity and he says, God, how long? God, when are you going to do something about this? God, I've been praying and nothing's changed. And God, not only do I think you could do something about this and you're not, God, I think you are the very cause of these problems in the first place. These are bold words. And church, if you're like me, uh, there's a part of you that's saying, man, I don't know that we're allowed to say these things to God. But again, if we're feeling these things, if these are the emotions uh, that are inside of us, I think we have to ponder the alternative. What are the options here? I, I think there's two. I think option one, we can be authentic and bring them to God as they are, just like the psalmist is doing here. We might think it's inappropriate or disrespectful, but he brings it to God. I think the alternative is to just pretend these things don't exist, hide them, ignore them, sweep them under the rug, Praise God through a phony smile. Yeah, God, my life's a mess right now, but joyful, joyful, we adore you. You know, when you juxtapose the options this way, I think the psalmist is setting a pretty amazing example of how to bring these things to God. You know, I wanna give you a, a really practical example of this. A song we sang this morning, Great Things by Phil Wickham, an incredible song. Some of the lines are, see what our Savior has done, see how his love overcomes. What if I'm in a season of life right now though where I don't feel like God's love is overcoming the issues that I'm facing? What then? 
He says, you've been faithful through every storm and you'll be faithful forevermore. What if I can look back on my life and see how God has been faithful, but right now in the unknown future ahead, it doesn't seem like God is being faithful. What do I do then? The last line is, we dance in your freedom, awake and alive. What if I'm in a season of life, a moment of life, where, where dancing feels like an impossibility? What do I do then? You know, in all of these emotions and circumstances, I think we have the option of authenticity before God, to bring it to God, letting him know how we really feel, or we can just sing through a phony smile. I think there's a reason 40% of, this, of the Psalms are laments, that God uses the psalmist to model this behavior and then invites us into this level of authenticity with him. I keep reading verses nine through 12. The psalmist says, my eyes are blinded by tears. These issues have literally brought the psalmist to tears. He says, each day I beg for your help, O Lord, I lift my hands in mercy. Now, in verses 10 through 12, the psalmist is going to ask some very seemingly sarcastic questions, but especially if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to, to ponder these questions and just in your head, how would you answer them? as the psalmist asked them, verses 10 through 12. He says, God, are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? You see, there's some irony in these verses. In Ephesians, we read about how humanity was dead in sin, yet in Christ alive. And so the reality that we believe as followers of Jesus is that the answer to these questions, to all of these questions, is yes, absolutely. We would say the wonderful deeds of the Lord are of use to the dead, that the dead will rise up and praise God. Those who are in darkness and destruction, they will speak up about God's righteousness, about his wonderful deeds. These things will happen. However, for this psalmist, in this moment, as he is praying this prayer, to him it does not feel that way. And church, I think the same will be true for us. Uh, no matter how strong our faith is, no matter how close and connected to God we are, there will be moments in life, and perhaps for some of us even seasons of life, where it will not feel that way. And that is why lament psalms are my favorite. And these are the prayers God gives us in scripture. I love that God allows us, invites us to come to him this way to express what is truly on our heart, our real emotions. You know, I don't think there are unspiritual emotions. I think God has given us all emotions. The question is, what will we do with them when we experience them? You know, the emotions that you're experiencing right now, will you allow them to drive you to God? or away from God. If you're angry, like the psalmist is angry, will you allow it to drive you to God or away from God? If you're feeling spiritually abandoned, like the psalmist is clearly feeling spiritually abandoned, will that drive you to God or away from God? It's as if the feeling of God's absence here has made the psalmist even more hungry for God. You know, instead of letting 
internal and external factors push him away from God. He is allowing them to draw him close. Instead of being driven away in anger and bitterness and exhaustion, instead of being driven away in spiritual abandonment, the psalmist draws near to God in lament. And he's gonna continue in verses 13 through 15. I love this line. He says, oh Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. If you're underlining in your Bible, I would underline that phrase. I will keep on pleading day by day. But oh Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to my death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Church, he keeps on pleading. Despite what we've seen in 15 verses that he feels abandoned, he feels like God isn't listening, like God doesn't care, like God is the source of his very infliction, but still, he still prays. He keeps on praying. Day by day, I will keep on pleading. Now, I I think it is important to note, we're about 15 verses in here, And at some point, this can almost feel like complaining, like the psalmist is overreacting and complaining. And I don't think he is, but I think the point needs to be made because I think there is a a very uh, fine line, a very hard to distinguish line between a very healthy lament and complaining, right? I I remember preaching a sermon on lament uh, back in student ministries and afterwards, Uh, Something happened that rarely ever happens. Uh, I had a middle school student come up to me and tell me how much he appreciated that message. He said it really impacted him. And so naturally my response was, hey, I'd love to chat with you about that. I'd love to pray with you. And I I just flat out asked him, "Uh, what are you lamenting? Uh, To which he responded that his parents had recently taken away his allowance due to some bad behavior. Uh, to, to which I had to, I had to say, hey, you know, if you're experiencing a, a very simple consequence to some negative actions that you did, likely not lament worthy. But church, I'm not gonna look into your life and tell you what is and is not worthy of lament. Uh, you get to do that. I, I do wanna give us some helpful parameters that we've seen so far, just things that we've seen in this psalmist's life to kind of help us determine, is this worthy of lament. I don't think you have to meet all of these. I think you can meet one of them. Uh, but is your, your situation worthy of lament? Here's some parameters. Number one, is it a chronic issue? You know, the, the psalmist says, this is something I have been facing since my youth. Day by day, I come to you. Clearly, this has been ongoing for a long time. It's chronic. Number two, is there internal wrestling and external enemies? Like it's not just an internal issue, but there's actually external forces that you feel are against you, or it's not just external, but man, you're really internally feeling the weight of it. Are there both internal wrestling and external enemies? Number three, I would say is probably the biggest reason if this exists, it's definitely lament worthy. Number three is you've been praying and therefore are feeling spiritual abandonment. This is what I see written throughout all of this Psalm that the psalmist has been bringing this to God over and over and over and feels that there hasn't been an answer. And so now it feels spiritually abandoned by God. If you're there, I would say you are ready to lament. And number four, I think is the simplest and most practical. There are tears involved. Like literally the issue that you are facing has brought you 
to tears. The psalmist says, my eyes are blinded by my tears. In Psalm 6, another lament psalm, the psalmist says, I'm worn out from my sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. Has the issue literally brought you to tears? I'm guilty, and I think a lot of people, maybe you're like me, are guilty of often thinking that tears are a sign of weakness. Crying is a sign of weakness. I grew up where you don't cry. You know, I grew up playing football. It's like crying is the last thing you do. It's, it's, it's a sign of weakness, right? You know, it, and, the t- and I honestly don't cry all that often, uh, but it does happen most often during a couple, like a, a very few select movies, I will find myself crying. And my wife has like the crying radar. Like there's like a ding that goes off in her head when I'm crying. So she knows, and now she's kind of, you know, crawling across the couch to look at my tears while I'm trying to hide them because they're a sign of weakness, which I need to be reminded is not true. Tears are not a sign of weakness. Lament is not a sign of weakness. Now I wanna put it this way, and if you're writing stuff down, I think my message can be summarized here. It's that lament is not a sign of weak faith. It's not disrespectful and it's not hopeless rebellion. If, if I had to think about lament as I hear these words, those would be words that I would use to define it. You know, it's weak, it's rebellious, it's disrespectful. It's none of those things. I think God is appealing to us for authenticity. He's inviting us into realness with him. Now we're gonna finish the passage and it's been pretty dark uh, so far, I know, but chin up, don't worry. Every single lament psalm ends with some sort of hope, all right? The psalmists bring their authenticity before God. They express their real and genuine hurts, but then every single one ends with some version of, but God, I trust you, but God, I love you, but God, I will continue to follow you. Every single lament psalm ends that way. Kind of kidding, every single lament psalm besides for Psalm 88, which honestly, church, is why I chose it. I didn't want to do a different lament psalm, and then you guys get to Psalm 88, and you're like, what is this? I wanted to tackle this one, but, but here's how I feel about it. Even though the, this, this lament psalm, Psalm 88, doesn't end with hope, I think it still provides us tremendous hope. I'm tremendously encouraged by it because simply in the fact that God invites this level of authenticity, the fact that God says this is an okay way to pray, if this is how you're feeling, God says, bring it to me, even if it doesn't end with hope. Let's see how he, he chooses to end it. Uh, verses 16 through 18. He says, your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. He finishes it by saying, you have taken away my compassion, my companions and my loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. You know, could you imagine taking the words of Psalm 88, turning them into a song and then playing it on Christian radio and then afterwards having to say positive and encouraging. That was a joke for my Caleb fans out there. You're welcome. Uh, But in all seriousness, I was watching a show called Songland recently. It's a newer song on Hulu about newer songwriters trying to make it. And so professional songwriters will allow them to come in uh, to perform for them. And if they like their song, they'll work with them on it and they'll try and produce it. Uh, it's a great song, uh, great songwriting process that you get to see. And uh, they, they truly come up with some awesome songs in the process, some great music. 
Well, on one of the episodes, uh, two guys, two songwriters brought in a song called Miracle. And when they were playing it for the first time for the professional songwriters, uh, this is what they said. These are some of the lyrics. It says, bloody knees from prayer, but sadly nothing has changed. God, did you forget my name? Lord, I could sure use a miracle. Are my prayers just going to waste? And I was listening to it. I thought, man, this is a great song, great melody, sounds awesome. Uh, Here's what the professional songwriters had to say about it. And I, I think it's important to note also that those lyrics, it continued in that vein the rest of the song. Much like Psalm 88, there was no uptick of hope. Like that was the song through and through. And this is what the songwriters had to say. They said, lyrically, there needs to be hope. Needs to be. Uh, One songwriter said, this is way too much of a downer. It almost feels really angry. The last songwriter said, uh, this is just not happy enough. I think it needs a total lyrical rewrite. In church, when when it comes to selling albums in the music industry, they may have been correct. But that's why I chose Psalm 88. Because when it comes to God, it is not required. No, God does not say, you can come to me with all that you are, your emotions and everything, as long as you're not too much of a downer. You know, as long as you stay positive, as long as you don't get angry, then you can bring yourself to me. No, God says, I can handle all of you exactly as you are. And so church, I would ask, are you in a season where you need to lament? I I think there's so much going on around us that even if we are not personally in a season of lament, there's plenty around us to lament. You know, if you've been around ALC for a while, you know that we're going through a transition right now. And for a lot of people, this has been a really difficult season. I would say absolutely worthy of laments. You know, you look at the world around us and the racial injustice, the political division that exists, you know, the implications of pandemic and and what it means we can and can't do now in this season and the division that that causes. You know, there's much that we can look around at our world right now and absolutely lament and bring it to God and say, how long? How long will this go on? I wanna close with a quote from Glenn Pemberton. Uh, He's an author, a pastor, professor, most recently at Abilene Christian down in Texas. And I think he just so beautifully summarizes what the lament psalms are, what they're for. He says, in the psalms, it is not those who lack faith who lament, but those recognized for strong faith who bring their most honest and passionate feelings to God. Moreover, by the sheer number of laments in the Psalms, almost 40%, it would appear that one major message of the book is this very point, church, get this. God invites his people to speak the truth of their lives, the truth of their pain, and the truth of their confusion. God is appealing appealing to us in this very moment for authenticity. Would you pray with me? God, it's interesting for, for me in this season where I'm not currently personally lamenting anything in my life, God. I'm in a, a season of joy to, to preach a message on laments. 
But God, I know this, I have been in seasons of lament before and I, I know that I will face them again in my life. And so God, I pray in those moments for me that I would bring my real, whole, authentic self to you uh, because you invite it, you want it. God, I pray for those listening right now who they are in a, a moment or, or again, maybe even a season of lament. God, I pray that they would be able to bring it to you with realness, God, with, with authenticity, that they would bring them whole selves to you. God, that you, they would know that you invite it, you want it. You want them to be real and honest with you. We do not need to put on a phony smile. And God, together, as one, as followers of Jesus, no matter what side of all of this tension that we're on, God, I pray that we can lament over it together and say, how long, Lord? When will you do something? God, we end this prayer with a, we praise you and we love you and we trust you. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.